Welcome to Hope Chapel's Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. And we also want to invite you to join us in person at a worship service Friday at 7, Saturday at 6, or Sunday mornings at 9 or 11. So read along with me. Luke writes this. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, now Luke's including himself in this episode, and he's going to go all the way to Rome with Paul and as well with a man by the name of Aristarchus, who will be mentioned in verse 2. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium. Did you get that one? about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. We put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Aristarchus would be mentioned by Paul in the fourth chapter of Colossians as a fellow prisoner with him in Rome. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snedus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. So hopefully you've seen the, the map. They, they're going to travel over 500 miles on this journey. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast, meaning it was about September, October, the same time as the, holy, the high holy day of Day of Atonement. That's what he refers to when he says the fast. So we know the time frame now in which it was. And this was a season for storms. So you'll see Paul now warns the men in verse 10, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be dangerous and bring great loss to ship and cargo into our own lives. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix in winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they'd obtained what they wanted, and so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, 
they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis. Now, Syrtis would be the coast of North Africa. So they were afraid that the winds were going to drive them down. And the coast of North Africa, the, 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 there was a, lots of sandbars and literally quicksand under the ocean. And so they know that that would be very, very dangerous for them. Lost my place here. Fearing that they would be run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. And then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and held the lifeboat that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all, and then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. And when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. The stern was broken to pieces by the pounding surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. 
He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have you ever felt that you were caught in a situation like a violent storm being driven by the wind? Anybody relate to that? Sure, all of us have at some point. Maybe you're in the midst of a storm even now. In chapter 23, verse 11, look at this verse with me. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify where? In Rome. Paul is going to Rome. There's much opposition from him getting to Rome. He's getting to Rome. It reminds me of the passage in Mark chapter 4. If you recall, uh, Jesus tells his disciples after a whole day of ministering, let's go to the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember that? And so they get in the boat, and what does Jesus do? He steers the boat, right? No, what does he do? He promptly takes a nap. He goes to sleep in the back of the boat. And then, of course, what happens? A storm arises on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples are calm, at peace, no problem, right? Jesus said, we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side, we don't have to worry. No, what, they panic. Not unlike us sometimes, right? The storm arises, we're sometimes given to panic. And God tells us, I've got it all under control. So they panic, they wake up Jesus, he calms the storm, and then he says to them what? O ye of little faith. Didn't I say we're going to the other side? God has said to Paul, you're going to Rome. Nothing is going to stop you from getting to Rome. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, here's a great, great verse. Here Paul writes to, to the Philippians and by extension to us. And he says, I am confident of this, that he, meaning God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has begun a good work. Somebody say amen. amen. Aren't you glad that he's committed to bringing that good work to completion? Much the same thing in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. We're told, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to do what? Separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. That good work he's begun, he's going to bring to completion. You and I may drift off. You and I may wander. You and I may lose something. But nothing is going to separate us from his love. He loves us with a love that will not diminish. Isn't that glorious? We're secure with him. We're absolutely secure with him. Now, in the first eight verses of our passage, the trip so far from Caesarea to Crete is fairly uneventful. 
with the exception of the words in verse 4. The winds were against us. Sometimes the winds are against us, aren't they? Yes. And again in verse 7, we read this, the wind did not allow us to hold our course. Have you noticed sometimes it's difficult to stay on course in your life, your walk? The currents of life, the winds of life tend to blow us off course. Nothing will separate us from his love. Nothing. This incident of the adverse winds could very well serve as a parable for Paul's life. It could serve as a parable for our life. Think about that. Let me walk you through this. Now, as far as the Apostle Paul, there are lots and lots of things in his life that were in favor in his life. He came, no doubt, from a good family. He had a terrific education. He was a Roman citizen. He had a brilliant mind, and he, was, he had a, a fervency for the things of God. So he was, he was well-equipped, well-postured. Would you, see, would you agree with me? Yet in spite of these advantages, Paul's life was by and large a struggle against winds that were against him. Before his conversion, it was the supersensitiveness of what you could describe as a fastidious conscience that drove him, as Jesus said, to kick against the goads. But after his conversion, those internal storms were quieted, but the external storms still raged. Everywhere he went, his people, the Jews, antagonized him. They were constantly against him. As we've been studying through the book of Acts, you see they nag him and they come after him again and again and again. His own physical handicaps and weaknesses were always nagging at him. His friends often disappointed him. At one point, he says, everyone has left me. The primitive conditions of travel had to be a burden for him. He's committed to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And in those days, travel was not an easy thing, as you might imagine. In one way or another, the same thing is true of us. There may be long periods when the weather, so to speak, is fine. Good days, favorable winds. It's going so good. Oh, I hope this lasts. But there inevitably comes the time when the weather turns and the weather can turn foul. And we find that the winds are against us. Sooner or later, we all have to face the fact that we cannot have everything we want. Anybody notice that yet? Does everyone want to have good health? Yes. But not everyone will have good health. Does everyone want a happy family? Yes, but not everybody will have a happy family. Does everybody want economic security? Yes, but not everybody is going to have economic security. Jobs are lost. The economy can turn south. We understand that. 
Is it fair to say that everyone wants to live in a peaceful world? Yes. But not everyone will be able to enjoy that happy privilege. It's well for us to recognize these things from the beginning, at the outset, that the winds will often be against us. Doesn't take very long to realize that, does it? It's not that we become pessimists. It's that we become optimistic realists. We know that life is difficult. We know that there are going to be opposing winds. We know there are going to be trials and difficulties. But we have a great hope in the face of all that, don't we? And therein we can be optimistic. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. The good work that he's begun, he is going to bring to completion. God is still sovereign. He's on the throne. He knows these circumstances, and he'll see me through. I can be optimistic at the same time that I'm realistic about life. We're fallen creatures, aren't we? We're fallen, still sinful, imperfect beings. We live in fallen, sinful, imperfect relationships. We live in a fallen, sinful, imperfect world. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be struggles. We're simply not perfect yet. Notwithstanding that, we also have a spiritual enemy, don't we? Spiritual adversary who is absolutely committed to our destruction. He uses the ploys of deceit to discourage and ultimately to defeat us. Two weeks ago, we showed a movie on Sunday night, American Gospel. And we see how the enemy has infiltrated the church and and deformed how some people understand and speak about the gospel. All to what? Deceive people so that ultimately they'd be discouraged and defeated. His whole purpose is to do that. We're going to experience adversarial winds. Look at verse 7, if you will, once again with me. Luke writes, We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty. Sometimes we make slow headway in our life as Christians. Sometimes we have great difficulty. It's to be expected. It's to be expected. Waiting is not our favorite thing, is it? Waiting does something to us, but it also does something for us. Waiting just works on us. But if we have a right perspective about it, God uses that to build us and to strengthen us in our faith. God always... No matter what happened, God is always conducting his servants. He's brought Paul. He's going to bring Paul to Rome. He's going to bring you and I to the place where he's designed for us to be. The adverse winds did not present, prevent Paul at all from reaching Rome. Neither did the adverse winds of life prevent him from doing what he set out to do. Paul remained faithful and he trusted God. What's our part? Our part is simply to remain faithful. Our part is to continue to trust him. I trust you. I trust you. I know that you know what's going on. I trust you. I am not going to bail. I am not going to quit. And Paul, as you and I will, Paul saw God's faithfulness to deliver him. 
as sailors learn to take advantage of adverse winds, so we too can learn to benefit from the difficulties and the misfortunes of life, can't we? Remember years ago, I heard this saying, you've heard it, you know what it is. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. What a novel thought. No, just got all these lemons. What can we do with them? Make lemonade. Wow. We know that God is at work, and whatever happens from our vantage point negatively, he has a good purpose for it, doesn't he? Yes, he does. No one is a better example of this than the Apostle Paul. Was Paul known as a complainer? Was Paul known as a whiner? Did he groan all the time? No, he did not. He didn't groan. He didn't complain. He didn't whine over his weaknesses, over the insults he received, hardships he experienced, persecutions, difficulties. Rather, he boasted about these things. He boasted in the midst of them because he knew that Christ's power was made perfect in weakness. Listen to his very own words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. To keep me from becoming conceited. Now, the previous verses talk about, he describes a man, this was himself, a man who had been, who'd shown great things. He was taken up to the third heaven and shown mysteries. So presumably, here Paul had maybe an out-of-body experience and was taken up and saw heaven. And to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. Can you imagine if you, if you went to heaven and God took you there, you saw everything, and you came back and you said, wow, look at me, I'm so special, I saw all this, and you want to tell somebody about it. It would tend to make us somewhat conceited, probably. And so he said there was a thorn given to him, a messenger of Satan, to torment him. Three times I pleaded with him to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When we're weak, he's powerful. And only we embrace that weakness instead of kicking against it will we know and realize his power. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I think one of the most important things to learn in life is not necessarily what happens to us, but rather how we meet what happens to us. This is what I'm dealt in life. This is what by God's providence and wisdom comes to me. I may not be liking it and happy with it, but what am I going to do with it? Even if my perception is that life has given me lemons, I'm going to figure out a way to make lemonade, so to speak. Am I making sense? question for us is, do we have confidence in God? Do we believe, truly believe, moment to moment, that he is at work in our lives and that he has promised to work whatever it is for our good because we love him and we've been called according to his purpose? Whose purpose? His purpose. Sometimes we get that a little confused. We want our purpose, don't we? Yes. Verse 9, we're told that it's the time for storms. It's about September, October. I mentioned that just a moment ago. It's the season for storms. And so in verse 10, Paul warns them 
Again, look with me at verse 10. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo into our own lives. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Paul saw what was ahead. It wasn't rocket science. He knew, and the sailors knew too. Was his advice accepted? No, it was not. Paul did not advise that they go brashly out to sea in defiance of what they knew were these seasonal storms. He advised that they profit by their knowledge of the weather and avoid the storms if possible. That is the first step of every wise person to recognize what what am I dealing with here? If you know that there's a potential for poor health in your life, would you not want to do everything to avoid that? Sure. We eat right, right, John? We take care of these bodies that God has entrusted to us? Yes. If a family situation is in some measure of danger, would you agree that everything should be done to prevent that danger from taking its toll on a family? Sure. It's not rocket science. We recognize, we understand these things. Paul tried to influence the response to their circumstances. And if we can't change our circumstances, then we, we trust God and we patiently endure the storm. We don't quit. Sometimes it's better to wait and to be content rather than exposing ourselves to greater problems and greater risk. They that wait upon the Lord shall rise up with wings as eagles, says Isaiah. Have you ever ever received wise counsel from somebody? You've gone to them, you're facing a dilemma, a challenge in your life, and you go and you you want to get wise counsel because you know the Bible says there's wisdom in much counsel. And so you go and you ask for wise counsel about that situation, and you get counsel. And then you ignore it? I used to be a pharmacist. And years ago, I would, you know, people would come up and they'd say, uh, I need a recommendation for this or that, some kind of remedy for something. And I have access, obviously, to over-the-counter remedies. And, and so I would take that person out to wherever the, the remedy was, and I'd hand it to him. I said, this is probably the best thing for your symptomology. Then I'd go back into the behind the case in the pharmacy and I'd watch. <laughs> they take what I gave them, put it back, and they get something else. I would think, why did you even ask me? I've had people come in church and ask me for counsel. Pastor, what should I do? What does the Bible say? What would God have me do in this situation? I'd patiently walk them through that process to just give them some measure of wisdom and understanding. And then they, I'd say, do you understand? Yes. Okay. Sadly, they wouldn't do it. And later on, they would come, and I'd say, did you do what I suggested? Well, well, well. And they're in a bigger mess than they were in before. 
When you ask for wise counsel, you should take it. Don't ignore it. So in verse 13, they continue their voyage. Notice, this is great. They thought they had obtained what they wanted. Paul warns them, don't go. They're still in that harbor. And a soft breeze begins to blow. They thought they they received what they wanted. But the next verse, verse 14, tells us what? Before long, a wind of hurricane force swept down. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Use wisdom. Get wisdom. Use wisdom. In verse 18, they're caught in a terrible storm now, and all they can do is hold on. Then they begin to throw the cargo overboard. Hmm. They're sacrificing physical cargo to save their own lives. Sometimes we need to throw some stuff overboard. Would you agree? To save our spiritual lives? Listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says. Let us throw off most things that hinder us. Let us throw off what? Everything. Let us throw off these things and the sin that so easily entangles us. It requires that we sit down and think through our life and, and we see, realize that, you know, I've got some stuff in my life I need to jettison, I need to get rid of. It's just slowing me down. It's bogging me down. It's creating more difficulties for me. You can only do that with you when you spend time with the Lord. As David said in Psalm 139, search my heart, O God, and show me those hurtful ways in me. You have to be genuine about it. Verse 20, for many days, for many days. Listen, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being alive. Wow. Sometimes the light of God's presence, sometimes the light of God's grace may be obscured. You may not feel him. You may not sense him. Things just don't seem, it's like you're all alone. And it may be for many days. But guess what? He's not left us. The temptation may be to give up. There's a single one of us probably haven't experienced this. There's a situation in you or a person in your life and you commit to pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to really pray for that person, pray for this situation. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and nothing seems to change. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you redouble your efforts for many days and still nothing seems to change. What are you tempted to do at that point? Give up. It's really, really a challenge to persevere in prayer when you don't see any change in for many days. The temptation to give up is strong. What good does it do? What good does it do? Nothing's changing. 
when Jesus tells us in the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel, don't quit. <laughs> Keep praying. Otherwise, you will give up. You'll give up all hope. We're not exempt from the troubles of this world. But God is faithful. He will lead us. He'll give us wisdom when we need it. And he will deliver us. How do you know he'll deliver us? Because the Bible is a record of his delivering those people who trust him, waited on him. He delivered his own people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, didn't he? He heard their cries. He sent them a deliverer, Moses. David. Did he deliver David? Absolutely. You remember when David was just a young lad and he appeared before King Saul and the Philistines were arrayed against them and he told Saul, he says, God has delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion and he will deliver me from the paw of this uncircumcised Philistine, meaning Goliath. God gave him that, didn't he? How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Did he deliver them? From a fiery furnace, they would heat, it was heated seven times hotter. I never understood that seven times hotter thing. It's a fiery furnace. What difference does it make? He delivered them. He delivered Daniel from the lion's den, didn't he? God is faithful to deliver his people. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his church. All to what? All to help us. Do we need the Bible? Do we need his spirit? Do we need the church? As imperfect as the church is, we still need it, don't we? We need one another. Because we can what? Encourage one another. We can exhort one another. We can sometimes chastise one another. But we need all of these resources that God has provided to guide us through these storms of life. And the question is, do we pay attention? Do we obey him? In verse 21, Paul can't contain himself. He can't help but say, I told you so. <laughs> that is so hard not to say that, isn't it? I told you so. Now he tells them. He says, after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now he goes on to encourage them. He doesn't stop with just simply an I told you so. He goes on to encourage them. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not only one, not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Is, is that not beautiful? He's graciously given Paul the lives of all who would sail with them. You and I are are in the ship of life. And God has given each one of us little spheres of influence, hasn't he? We have, we have fellow travelers with us, don't we? Fellow strugglers, if you will. 
Each one of us are trusted with souls, people that God has trusted to our care. The challenge is if we will, with continued prayer and perseverance, carry them along with us or abandon them. Just keep coming. I'm forever telling people, just keep coming. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. Well, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. I don't feel anything. Just keep coming. At some point, you're beginning to begin to experience the reality of what God has for you in terms of your experience. Just keep coming. Even if the ship of life is broken to pieces, that some would be saved. God had purpose for Paul. He was going to Rome. God has purpose for each and every one of us. The question is, for all of us, what am I living for? Do I know what his purpose is? Beyond, obviously, being holy, righteous, not sinning, and so forth. Each one of us have been gifted, haven't we? We all fit into the body of Christ. He has designed each one of us for a unique place and participation in his kingdom in his church. Do you know what God's purpose for your life actually is? Paul had a purpose. He knew. He knew what God's purpose for him was. Do we know? God always has a bigger purpose for us than we have for ourselves. Do you know that? If you, just, if, you, if you identify what you think is God's purpose for your life, and if you can easily do it, it's probably not from God. I believe with all my heart that God's purpose is much bigger than you. It's much bigger than me. You can't do this. Try being a pastor. <laughs> Scare me to death when I first found out about it. Just Huge. Huge. I had no idea what to expect. Bigger, way bigger than me. I could not do this without God carrying me through. Incredible. Paul had completely surrendered his life to Christ. Completely. If you don't believe me, read Philippians chapter 3. And he believed that God was using his life for a purpose. And that he would not let that life go until that purpose had been accomplished. Beloved, the ship would not sink because Paul had to get to Rome. Your ship will not sink until God's purpose for you is fulfilled. Two more times Paul steps in to quote-unquote save the day. Verse 30, there was an attempt by some sailors to desert They were going to jump ship. Paul told the centurion, he said, don't let those guys go because if the sailors go, the ship is going down for sure. And so they cut the lines to the lifeboat and the sailors had to stay with them and stay with the ship. And the second is in verse 33, he urged everyone to eat. Apparently the storm had gone on for two solid weeks. They had eaten anything. Can you imagine in that storm, would you be seasick? Oh, not feel like eating? And so they finally ate. And in verse 39, finally, I love this, when daylight came. When daylight came. We long for the day when daylight comes, don't we? 
There's a break in the storm. The seas are calm. Psalm 112, verse 4, one of my favorite passages. For even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Even when it's darkest, light will arise. Isn't that glorious? And though the ship ran aground, in verse 44, we're told everyone reached land in safety. Just as Jesus quieted the storm in Mark chapter 4, and he and his disciples reached the other side, Jesus knows the storm that you're in. He knows the storm that I'm in. And he's still sovereign over our circumstances. Our part is to hold on. If all you can do is hold on, hold on. Don't quit. Don't panic. Trust him. He will see you through. Amen. Father, thank you for the confidence you give us, and thank you for your word, that it's sure. As we read it, we see your faithfulness, Lord, even in the threats that confront our life. We're humbled, we're blessed, and we can say thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for your table, Lord, we ask you again that we might know your grace and your mercy for us. We love you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, we want to thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.